a mentor, and he, he, he's really wise. And there's been different times in my life where I've been aggravated and frustrated about different things. And he says, Dan, and, and he said this a while back, and he's repeated it to me a lot. He says, church happens in a lot of places and not always where you think. Right? And the more I keep my radar on for that, the more I see it's true. And as I read through the book of Acts, I see church happening all over the place in places that even they didn't think it was supposed to happen. And they were surprised when church happened. Uh, at, at the beginning, there was, there was this life, and it was in the people. And the church came along and was formed to help support that life and to help it on. And then at some point, and historians can argue about when, but we'll just agree that at some point, the tables flipped. And the church became a big hairy monster that everybody had to work to keep alive. And it kind of ruled the roost. And, um, and I don't think that's the end of it, though. I don't think that's how the story ends. And, and we'll talk about that, too. Um, a lot of people think that church and Christianity and Jesus, whatever they think about him, happens within the church. So if I, stay, if I don't like any of that stuff, I can just stay away from a church and I'll never have to face it, Right? You know, you might meet people and they're like, yeah, church, I don't have any use for that. Oh, yeah, you know. And they lump the whole thing into one deal, on one property, on one boundary line. Well, there's a lot of things where the church went out of the box in the book of Acts. And uh, you talked last week about going to places, you know, going far away and all this business. Let's, let's go to, we're going to go three different places in the book of Acts. First, we're going to start in Acts 9. And I'll just, I'll just give you the, the summary of it, but you can, you can hold your finger there and, and see how it plays out. Um, Acts 9, Saul, he is a, a halfling. He is a mixed breed. His mother was Jewish. His father was Greek. So he has all the rights and privileges of a Roman citizen. But all of the upbringing, culture, and righteousness of being Jewish. And, uh, you know, this is a very international time uh, in this part of the world. Very, uh, very diverse. People, you know, you could go to a city and there'd be people speaking all different languages all over the place. And it was very common if you, if you had a name that was your name for one culture, and then you went to another language to talk to them, you'd have another name for that culture. Um, when, we, when we lived over in Central Asia, Dan was not a Russian name. I mean, what in the world does that mean? Um, Dan. And one day, somebody came to our door, and they asked, and they knew my name was Dan. Or no, I think they didn't know my name. And they said, where's your husband? To my wife. And she said, Dan is at the market. And they heard Dennis. So I was Uncle Dennis. Because I guess Dennis is a name they recognized and not Dan. And so I was Aka Dennis, Uncle Dennis, to every kid on the street. And I was Mr. Dennis. 
Dennis, Dennis, Dennis everywhere, and I just had to own it. Um, sometimes I would even introduce myself as Dennis, and I'd be like, if somebody that called me Dennis was standing there and I was introducing myself, I'm Dennis. And there it was. So I was Dan to the English speakers, and I was Dennis to the former Russian speakers and Persian speakers on my street, right? Same way, Paul and Saul were the same guy. Saul was this hearty Jewish name. Come on now. Original king of Israel, Saul. It's like naming your kid Judah or something. Give him a strong name. But then Paul was a Greek name. So whenever he went somewhere and he met people, he would know the greeting if they were Greek speakers or if they were Hebrew speakers. And he would introduce himself and there wouldn't be any confusion. So Saul in Acts 9, it says he's breathing out threats against the church. He is hating the church. He's hating this new little sect of Judaism that at this point they were calling themselves the way and proclaiming that the Messiah, the chosen one of God had come and he was on his way to Damascus to throw a bunch of them in jail. He had already thrown a bunch in jail. He had seen some executed and he's on his way there. And uh, you know what happens. He gets knocked off his horse. He has a vision of Jesus. He's blinded. He goes to the house of this guy, Ananias. And Ananias, God says to Ananias, Ananias, I want you to go find Paul. He's been blinded on the road and bring him back to your house. And Ananias says, whoa, 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 whoa. Haven't you heard about this guy, Lord? Just like that part. God, don't you know? Because I've heard about him. Maybe you don't know. He's been breathing out threats and killing people. Are you sure? And God says, I'll show him what he has to suffer for my name. Which is pretty serious, right? So he takes Saul back and he fasts for a couple days and he comes to Jesus and he's baptized and the scales fall off his eyes. He gets, he's not blind anymore. And his first stop, this is just totally radical, Acts 9.22. Saul increased all the more in strength and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. If you skip backwards in Acts 9, he was sent to Damascus to throw people that proclaimed Jesus in jail. Right? So the, the synagogue in Damascus is thinking, oh, you guys can talk all you want, but our big brother's coming. Right? And the big brother shows up and proclaims Jesus. And they're confounded. Oh, wait a minute. Unplug his mic. Get him out of here. They're confounded. They couldn't believe this guy who was a, a threat and a murderer um, was, became friends with Ananias. At one point, Ananias calls him brother. He says, brother Paul. The Jews are confounded. They say, oh my gosh, shut that guy up. He's doing the exact opposite of what he was sent here to do. He's proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. We can't let that get out. Skip over to Acts 10. Nobody expected Paul to proclaim Jesus. Ananias never expected. People fled. People fled from uh, Jerusalem. When Stephen got killed in Acts 7, it says that people fled to all the cities all around. One of those cities was 
to Damascus. And Ananias was in Damascus, and we don't know if he was a native of Damascus or if he fled there in Acts 7 when Stephen got killed. He might have. Unexpected, completely unexpected. Acts 10, Peter goes to Cornelius. Okay, who's Cornelius? First of all, Peter is at a tanner's house, and I could go into this and talk about it all day, but I'm not going to. But he's at a tanner's house. A tanner, uh, maybe we are going to talk about it. Is going to be taking animals and making skins, making leather. And he's going to be making hides from critters. Simon is not a Jewish name. He's in a city that's not a Jewish city. And a lot of times, Jews look down on tanners because everything a tanner deals with is a dead animal. All kinds of dead animals. You want some lizard skin boots? I'm going to have to be unclean to touch that dead lizard to make you some lizard skin boots. Of course, you'll have to be unclean when you wear them. But um, Greeks would wear, they, they didn't have food laws like the Jews had. And so Peter might be at this unclean guy's house. He's on the roof. He has a vision. God says, Peter, kill and eat all this unclean food. Peter says, Lord, don't you know? Right? Where did we hear this before? God, are you sure? I've never eaten anything unclean. Peter says, or God says, Peter, I want you to kill it and I want you to eat it. Don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And right at that moment, an unclean Gentile comes to the door and requests him. He goes back with Cornelius. Cornelius has a huge household of Gentiles. And that word just doesn't strike fear in us at all, right? Gentiles? Okay. Cornelius has a household full of body-pierced, tattoo biker gang people. How's that? They got bones in their noses and bones in their heads. Whoa! Peter goes... And they all believe. They all believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. The Holy Spirit, it's so funny when you read that. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and shows that the Holy Spirit shows that he has accepted them in. And it's more, it's almost for the sake of Peter and the people that are with Peter to show that the Holy Spirit is there upon these Gentiles, upon these bikers. To reveal that to them, to convince them, oh my gosh, God is really reaching out to the Gentiles. It's really happening. And Peter says, God's come upon them just like he came upon us. Who are we to deny them water for baptism? And they're all baptized And Peter stayed there for several days. Okay, that's a big deal. It's a a little joke. It's a little inside joke, but it's a big deal. What did Peter eat? He's staying with the Gentiles. Gentiles don't care about Jewish food laws. Peter is having bacon fest. He's never had bacon before in his life. He's never eaten an unclean, he's never had a pork chop. He's never had pulled pork. And he stayed there for several days, eating all this unclean food, living with all these unclean people. 
And the Holy Spirit was upon them. It was so unbelievable. So that's all of Acts 9. No, that's all of Acts 10. Almost all of Acts 11 is dedicated to retelling that story because Peter had to go back home to all the Jewish people that believed in Jesus and tell them what had happened. Guys, I ate bacon. And all the Gentiles are saved. What? It's true. And it took some convincing. If you look through Acts 11, I mean, it was not just a, oh, okay, great. It was a, uh, it was a, it was a struggle. It was a debate. So now you've got, you've got Paul getting saved. And people saying, are you serious? Paul's a killer. He's a murderer. And now he's in the synagogue preaching Jesus. You have Peter going to the home of Cornelius. And then he comes back. And they say, what? A bunch of Gentiles, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like it fell on us the day of Pentecost? It can't be. That's crazy. A lot of times people get saved that nobody expected to get saved in the book of Acts. And it happens the same way today. Um, I talk to a lot of people. And um, sometimes I come across people that are um, completely scientific, atheists don't believe in anything spiritual at all. Zilch. And in conversation with them, we might talk for a little bit, and then something comes out. Like, you remember these sinkholes that opened up? I think it was in Florida. And like, a guy died. And this guy, who's very scientific and very, you know, there's nothing spiritual, there's nothing mysterious, made the comment... Man, I wonder what that guy was doing for a sinkhole to open up under. He had this little seed of belief in him that that guy did something that caused a sinkhole to open. And it wasn't scientific, right? Guys get, a guy got a lottery ticket this week and he brings it, a homeless guy got a lottery ticket. He brings it up to me and he shows it to me. And he says, look, I got 20 bucks. I got lucky. There's some kind of a, uh, an irrational, spiritual idea going on there, right? We were talking about yesterday, we were at a, a city park in Princeton. And there's money in the, in the well. And it's just fun for kids to throw pennies into water, right? That's just fun. But at some point, some spiritual thing happened in somebody, and they said, I want to associate this act with wishing. Right? So even when people say they don't believe in spiritual stuff, you'll find if you press them, or if you keep on talking or you get to know them, all of a sudden, they do. They just might not realize that it's spiritual. They might not call it spiritual. Right? But they believe that this unrelated event will result in this unrelated event and something unexplainable will happen in between. That happens all over the place. The tricky thing is, in the book of Acts, we've got a narrator who's the Holy Spirit that tells us why things happen. Right? And we don't always have that in real life. We don't really have a cause and effect thing in real life. In Acts 16, 
It says that Paul and Silas were walking through the town. And there was this lady who would walk along behind them and prophesy and say, these men know the way of salvation. And it says in the book of Acts, in verse chapter 16, that she had an evil spirit in her. She had a demon in her that would prophesy and speak the truth, which is kind of weird, right? And it went on for a couple days, and it says Paul got annoyed. Paul got annoyed and cast the demon out of her. Isn't that wild? Like to think about, it wasn't a matter of, I'm going to set this woman free. It was a matter of, this is really getting on my nerves. Get out of her. Get out of here. But then what happens? What plays out? Is that that, that, these guys had an economy that was run by the power of demons. And when the demon was cast out, this woman who was a fortune teller, and they made money off of her being a fortune teller, they started a riot and got Paul and Silas in big trouble in the middle of the riot. They got beaten with sticks and thrown in prison. I was reading about this. The, the, uh, the legal people, the magistrate of this town in Philippi, would walk around town and there would be men and his guards would walk along with him. And they had big bundles of sticks, big bundles of wooden rods. And that was the constant authority. That It was kind of like walking around and showing your gun. It was like the sheriff showing his gun. Because if you did something against the magistrate, the magistrate would say, boys, get him. They'd strip you naked and they'd beat you with these rods out in the street. And it was a public thing. And it would be, everybody would see it. And it was, it was embarrassing and it was disgraceful. And then after you're beat with these rods by these guys, they throw you in prison. And I thought, you know what? I know a couple economic things in Evansville that are run by the power of Satan. And if I marched into those and got them shut down, I bet I would get beat with rods too. (laughs) Maybe not by the city government, but by the business owners. So they go and they do this. And they're in jail in Philippi. Jail is not good. Um, Just, it's easy to read the Bible and to think that they always had the Geneva Convention. And they always had, you know, uh, human rights. Um, talking about Memorial Day. Just yesterday we were at the uh, Vincennes Rendezvous. And so we're talking about the Revolutionary War and, and uh, talking about freedoms. Last night we were praying and it just started occurring to me. We have freedom of speech, freedom of religion. We don't all have to go to the Church of England, right? And some simple stuff that we forget. So these guys were in a Philip, not Filipino, Philippi. Ha, they were in the Philippines. How'd they get there? No, they were in Philippi. They were in jail. They were shackled. It says they were in the inner room. If you've ever been to a jail, there's rooms for the, you know, Martha Stewart. And then there's rooms for Jeffrey Dahmer, right? These guys are in the Jeffrey Dahmer suite. These guys are in the innermost room. They're shackled. They are singing hymns 
and praying so loud that everybody in the jail can hear them. Pretty awesome. Now you wonder who's in this jail. On the one hand, you think it's a jail, so it's probably thieves and murderers and killers and bad guys. But were Paul and Silas bad guys? They weren't, were they? They were unjustly in here. So you also have to wonder how many other people in this jail are thrown in here unjustly. Might be a lot. Might not be very many. Um, Later on when it was found out that it was unjust, they were told the next day that they could leave. So these guys, the other people in the jail have been there for a while. So they're singing and they're praying. Everybody in jail can hear it. What's wild is they're doing the exact same thing that they did when they were on the street proclaiming Jesus. When they went into the synagogue and they were proclaiming Jesus. Now they're in jail, beaten and naked and in shackles. And they're doing the exact same thing, proclaiming Jesus. And it's almost like they're doing it even more joyfully, in a more joyful way now. You'll see that all over the book of Acts. Wherever there's persecution, wherever something bad happens, they rejoice more. And whenever they rejoice more, the onlookers become Christians. The onlookers join in. So they're singing. Uh, we were talking about this at the at the mission this week in our Bible study. And one of the guys, at midnight, there's an earthquake. Everybody's shackles fall off and every door opens. Every door in the jail opens. And the guy at the mission, he said, you know what happened? The God that they were singing to showed up. I was like, oh yeah, get ready. You know Jurassic Park when the T-Rex is coming and that little glass of water starts shaking? It's like the thing you heard about is here. Right there. Guys, the thing, the God of heaven, the creator of all things, the savior of the world that we've been singing about just showed up. (laughs) Doors open. The jailer would live nearby, kind of like a parsonage near a church. The jailer would have his house near the jail just so he could get there quick. Comes running over, thinks that everybody has escaped. And of course, it's going to be execution for him, for everybody that, that left. This happened just a couple chapters ago when Peter got out of jail. And they say, whoa, 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 we're all here, dude. It's all right. Nobody left. He says, what? He says, we're all here. Get the torches. They get the torches. They turn everything on. Everybody's still there. The jailer drops to his knees and says, what do I need to do to be saved? He didn't need any convincing, did he? He didn't have to be talked to. He didn't have to be nurtured in. Or, uh, you know, let's give you the best seat in the house. He was just like, all right, where do I sign up for this? I want to talk about all this stuff. Because we've gotten in a rut that we think that, 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 that all of this stuff has to happen at a certain time, on a certain day, in a certain place. But God wants to bust out and make this stuff happen all over the place, all the time. We had this really funny thing happen this week uh, that that cheered me on and encouraged me. Um, Last week was the 
Tom Petty concert. And Tom Petty donated 14 tickets to the rescue mission. Which, I mean, if you want to be stereotypical, you could think, guys, the rescue mission would really like Tom Petty. And you're right, they did. <laughs> and uh, I got to be the blesser. I got to play Santa Claus and go around and handpick guys that I knew it wouldn't be a stumbling block for them. Because I didn't want anybody to, to stumble into sin because they went to a Tom Petty concert. But guys that would still enjoy it in a, in a holy way. And I picked those guys out. And I got rid of my 14 tickets. And one guy came up to me right as I was going out the door. Right, I'm on my way home. The t- this concert starts in two hours. And he comes up and he says, you know, Dan, I don't really like Tom Petty. I wouldn't get anything out of this concert. You can give it to somebody else. So I had a ticket. And now, whoever I give it to is going to be like playing favorites. And there's going to be controversy, right? So I stick it in my pocket. I say, God, show me who to get this ticket to. So I go home. And we're getting ready to leave our house. And I mention that to my wife. And we look across our driveway, across our alley, and our neighbor's house is there. And my wife says, we'll say this guy's name is Tom. You should give that ticket to Tom. And Tom is deaf and has a ponytail down here and just has Tom Petty written all over him. And I said, that is a great idea. So we back out of our driveway and we're going somewhere. So we drive around the block, go around in front of his house, knock on the door. He comes to the door. Oh, well, hi, Dan. I never go to his front door because we always, we're alley neighbors, right? So we always talk to each other in the alley. So I'm like, oh, he's looking at me. I said, Tom, do you want to go see Tom Petty tonight? I have one ticket. His eyes bug out of his head. His jaw drops. Whoa, yeah, what, how? Yeah, what, yeah. I said, God bless you. Enjoy the show. Have a blast. I got to get some pants on. You know, he's in the house. Door slams. And he went. And I was so excited. I was so happy that I could just bring him so much joy, you know? Just something stupid, like a Tom Petty concert. But then I started praying, because they're reserved seats. So Tom's going to sit in the middle of a whole bunch of guys from the mission that are really holy, righteous, awesome, Bible-thumping dudes. So I prayed for that. And I don't know if anything ever came of it. But, this week, we have some friends that go door-to-door and they evangelize and they went to this house and they knocked on this guy's door and the guy came to the door and he couldn't really hear him and uh, they were trying to explain what they were doing and they are going around praying for people and, and finally they said, we are Christians! He goes, oh, I don't need any of that. No, nah, that's okay. That's alright. And they leave. And they get down to their front step and he comes back to the door and he goes, hey, 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 if you want Christians, they live over there. The Christians live over there. And send them over to our street. Glenn knows who we are. He knows what we're about. He knows what fuels us, right? And now it's just a matter of time to sit and camp on that until he's got a question about it. And I'm just going to love his ponytail off and be there for him and help him out until a breakthrough happens, right? Um, Church happens. You know, 
who would think that love would be shown and, and the, the fact of who Christians are would have been proclaimed by giving somebody a Tom Petty ticket. But it was, right? I, I got a prop. So, these are miracles. And they're beautiful. And they have power in them to grow and scare off mosquitoes and make our yard look orange. But they're in a container that's disposable. Right? These things, I'm going to take them out of here and I'm going to plant them. I'm going to sit that right there. All the water already leaked into my briefcase, so it's okay. (laughs) I'm going to take those and I'm going to plant them and they're going to grow. And the container that they're in is going to be abandoned and left behind. And they are going to grow and grow and grow. Just like my body, right? The Holy Spirit's in me to wear this container out. And this container is going to get disposed of. And I'm going to, the life that's in me that is Christ is going to be put into a new container that'll look similar to this one, but it's going to have some upgrades. At some point, we lost sight that it was about what was in the container, and we started thinking that it was about the container. Think about the most beautiful vase you've ever seen, right? These beautiful vases that we preserve and we, and we protect them. If I went down to the museum where they got that like 3,000-year-old Ming Dynasty vase, and I took one of these marigolds and plopped it in there, it's like, I just need this, keep it green for a little bit. Don't mind me. I'd go to jail, right? If I went to somebody's, somebody's, uh, somebody's house and I went and found the most beautiful vase in the house, it'd probably be an urn with ashes in it, right? I'm so glad that you brought this flower today. This, this plays right into my evil little scheme, right? Not slamming on your vase. What makes this vase so beautiful? The flower that's in it, the life that's in it, right? If you just had this glass jar, you wouldn't even, you'd be like, what is that thing, right? We have, we have about 7 million of them for sale at the thrift store. <laughs> Maybe 6 million. But it's the life of the thing that's in it that gives it beauty, Right? When you read through Acts, that is what makes the church beautiful, is the life that's in it, that's growing out of it, that's moving. Every living thing needs support. And that's why we are here, because we are living Christ's life and we need that support. And then we grow. And on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we grow and grow all over the place like weeds by the power of the Holy Spirit. We grow in our families. We grow in our workplace. Uh, The other night we were sitting in our house and we were telling stories and telling stories and telling stories. And all of a sudden an hour and a half went by and we had unpacked the book of Acts and we had busted out a little bit of Galatians. And my wife said, we're just having church right here. I said, yes. I ran into a guy at Schnooks in the uh, soy sauce aisle. 
And we start talking, and he's talking about problems in his life, and I'm talking about my life. And we start praying for each other, and we're having church at Schnucks with the soy sauce. It can happen all over the place. We have these treasures. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have treasures. Living, flourishing, Holy Spirit treasures in disposable containers. Disposable containers. Disposable containers. So that this all-surpassing power all-surpassing goes over everything shows that it belongs to God and not us that nobody would judge us by our outward appearance that nobody would judge us by our outward appearance but by the life of God flowing out of us right let's pray Lord bring it bring that life bring your Holy Spirit fire into us that it would live out of us That biker gangs would be saved. That the most unpredictable, unforeseen people put us in contact with them, Lord. And move your Holy Spirit through us and through them. And save people, Jesus. Work through through us in our circumstances that we would be bold and not afraid. Not afraid of jail or being beaten by rods. Um... But so many more people got saved after those guys went to jail and saw that miracle. And they came out worshiping you more than ever. Help us to be bold, Lord. Help us to be strong. Help us to not look, limit ourselves by our outward appearances. But to unlimit ourselves by the holy calling and the Holy Spirit that lives in us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.